Good morning. It's nice to see you all this morning. And uh, thank you, Brandon, your amazing team. Let's pray together. Lord, we do bless your name. We are so humbled in your presence, Lord, and we just ask that you would move among us today. Bring us into full submission, every thought, every attitude under your gracious judgment and gaze, every pretense, any prejudgment or distraction or care you've maybe brought into this place, we ask that it'll come into submission to Christ. Have absolute sway and influence in our lives today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, for the praise and glory of your name. We bless your name today. Amen. I want to invite you to go to Philippians chapter 3 with me. If you have a copy of the scriptures, something to use to look at, there are Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. We'd ask you to take those and use them. Take them home if you need a Bible. They're there for you. We also have a supply of them, I believe, out in the main foyer. So don't leave without a copy of the scriptures if you need one this morning. Um, We're all about the Word of God. We're convinced it's from Him. It's for you. (laughs) It brings about all good in our lives. It's powerful. It's living. It's active. It can go places you can't even imagine in your life, deep down into your mind, your heart, your motives, your soul. So please, please take a copy of the Word of God home with you this morning if you don't have it and make it the very centerpiece of your lives. Um. I would like to read the passage this morning, and we'll go back and kind of make our way through it. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse um, 2, the apostle says, Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. They are mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed. Um, If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a big deal. That's the real deal, tribe of Benjamin. Um, A real Hebrew, (laughs) Uh, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. He had a card. He carried it. (laughs) He's a card-carried member of the Pharisees. Um, I was part of that group, sanctioned, had a vote, (laughs) everything. Probably had a locker, (laughs) parking place, everything. He was the real deal. Um, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Now, I want you to just hold that thought. 
hold that connection between religious zeal and harshness. It'll become important later on, so just hold that thought. Um, As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things, the things that he just listed, were valuable. But now I consider them worthless, once valuable, now without any value, because of what Christ has done. Christ changed everything for Paul. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, trash, refuge, manure, junk. That's the idea. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The Apostle Paul is basically giving his testimony here, and he's saying, listen, there were a whole lot of things that I relied on, trusted in, protected, treasured, and valued. They were of enormous and immense value to me in terms of my right standing with God. They were things like pedigree. They were things like being a member of a very elite group of religious people, the Pharisees. Uh, It had to do with his zeal and his knowledge of the scriptures and the Mosaic law. It also had to do with his kind of ethnicity, his pedigree, who he was as a real Hebrew. If there ever was one, he was the real deal. All of that was of enormous value to the Apostle Paul at one point in his life at least in relationship to what he believed to be what made him right or in his right standing with God. But something changed. Those things which were at once extremely valuable, now he's happy to place out in the alley in the trash cans. It's worth nothing because of Christ. We just had our annual all-community yard sale in our neighborhood. (laughs) And they put out notices long in advance so that everybody can start thinking through all of their valuables that are now probably worth very little. And people open up their garage doors and they bring out tables and they take all these things out of their house and they place them all out in the yard for everybody to see. And then people come from all over the world. They fly in from Japan and Hong Kong. No, I'm just kidding. But they come from all over the county and several surrounding counties because there's been notices put in the newspaper about these all community yard sales. And they block driveways and they park on people's grass. 
<clears throat> and, and they do all manner of things because they want to be the first one to get there to find all this stuff. Now, my son Jonathan, who's eight, he lives for this day. He sees the notice in the mailbox. He starts counting his nickels and his dimes and his quarters and his dollars. And he, he rides me. He harasses me. Daddy, when is, is this the day? Is this the No, it's not this Saturday. It's the next. It's the, he lives for this day, and he's the first one up on Saturday morning on the day of the all-community yard sale. And so we put our hats on, and we head out, and we make the first pass through the neighborhood to just kind of take assessment of everybody's stuff. And I think he hopped out and he got a couple of things. I mean, it's just, it's a treasure hunt for Jonathan and he loves it. And he loves kind of giving his quarters and he gets these great things. Well, then we go back and if anybody else happens to be awake uh, in the house, then we, we take them along for the second pass. Because you see, we've been on reconnaissance and we've seen where the best places are and where the other place is not worth stopping at. And so this time his mother came along with us and I think Jacob came along for the second pass through the neighborhood and out we went. Made a couple of stops, picked up a couple of more things that we absolutely did not need, but it was fun for Jonathan to have. And then we made a turn. We went around a corner and we went into this very nice part of the neighborhood. These garden homes, they're tucked in the back and they're tree-lined. It's very quiet and they've got like hummingbird feeders and these beautiful little things in the yard. These are the folks that have kind of done things really well. They've figured things out. Most of them have homes in Florida and they go there in the winter when the rest of us are scraping our driveways. So it's that kind of place. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be some really nice stuff. And sure enough, we pulled up into this one place and they had tables all lined throughout the driveway. And I mean, this was the jackpot. If you like crystal and china glassware, beautiful blown glass blue goblets. This couple had traveled to the Far East and they had a whole table of Asian art and teapots. I mean, just, I mean, you couldn't even imagine. And so I'm telling Jonathan, you better put your quarters away because we're going to be way out of place on this driveway. This man comes out of this house. He sees Jonathan, and he picks up this really awesome-looking kind of uh, magnetic dartboard. I mean, it was just Jonathan had his eyes just fixed on this thing. And he comes up to Jonathan, and he says, when's your birthday? And Jonathan said, January 10th. And the guy said, happy birthday. John was like, I was like, say thank you, thank you. He couldn't believe it, it was free. And the guy said to me, he said, listen, my folks are gone. My sister and my brother, they came in from Seattle, one from Oregon, they're, where they're all here. We just got to get rid of this stuff. I mean, we don't want to bring this back into the house. You know what I'm saying? I said, yeah. So I went up to this one table, and I'm going to tell you, there were these beautiful oil lamps, a set of dishes, beautiful, beautiful dishes. It had the kind of the light blue kind of lining around it. And I looked at that, and I said, wow, these are beautiful. And he said, five bucks for the whole table. <laughs> five bucks. I'll even help you carry it to your truck. How does that happen? How can something that at one point had such immense value 
Now you couldn't give it away if you tried. Something's got to bring about that kind of change. The Apostle Paul, in this section, he's saying, listen, these things, these things were like China. This was, this was like blown glass. This was the real stuff. My pedigree, my zeal for the law and righteousness, the fact that I was a Hebrew of Hebrews like no one else, and according to my, my record on keeping the law, man, that's something you'd want to put on display in terms of something worthy and valuable of making myself right before God. Now the Apostle Paul says, because of Christ, because of what he's done. Man, I can't give this stuff away. You know why? Because it's not worth anything. And he goes on in this passage to explain how it happened. Now for these people, it was just a completely different phase of life. These folks were gone. This stuff meant nothing to them. It certainly had no monetary value to them. What they wanted to do was rid their lives of it. To the point that they were ready to give it away for free. Now listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this. He says, I once thought, verse 7, these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Christ did something. What did he do? He keeps talking about this. Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. There's something about Christ that has made the difference. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as trash, yard sale stuff, so that I could gain Christ and be found in him, be become one in him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. It's not valuable anymore. Rather, I become righteousness. Here it is again. Through faith in what? Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience his power the power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, share in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now watch this. Now listen, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. Paul says, I'm not there. Or that I have kind of already reached this place of perfection. But I'll tell you what, now because of this change, I press on to possess that for perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. There it is. That's what happened. All along this time, he had been trusting in all of these seemingly valuable things. His bloodline, his ethnicity, his training, his education, his pedigree, his zeal for the law and righteousness. All of these other things, he was trusting in that. And then something happened. Guess what? Jesus Christ laid hold of him. That's what he says. Possessed him. Now, if you know the story, it's back in Acts chapter 8 and 9. 
Pastor Brett led us through that. The Apostle Paul was charging through the countryside in the name of God, and his zeal was full-blown. He was after Christians. On behalf of God, he was working his list, his things of righteousness. And then all of a sudden, the scripture says there was a bright light, and he heard a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the scripture says, Luke tells us that it actually threw him to the ground. That's when Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus, in all his power and glory, laid hold of, laid hold of this man. That's what he's talking about. He possessed me. He laid hold of me. <laughs> there was this kid on our bus when I was growing up. I rode the bus to school. I don't know what it is now. The kids don't want to ride the bus. They want to ride to school. I had to ride the bus. I had to ride the bus with my cello. So if you don't think I was a target, come on. I had to get on with this cello, you know. Anyway, so I rode the bus with a cello, and there was this kid on the bus. His name was Rusty Hall. And Rusty Hall, I don't know what it was about Rusty, but he didn't like me, and he didn't like the fact that I got on the bus with a cello every day. Okay, so he was always on me, always making fun. Oh, here comes cello boy, just making fun of me and all this stuff. And every day I'm thinking, oh, man, do I go ride this bus? Sometimes I'd forget my cello on purpose, you know, just so I'd get on this bus and I'd have to deal with Rusty Hall. Rusty Hall, you're always on me, always picking at my hair and, you know, won't you play us a tune, Toby? So finally, I just had enough. I thought, you know what? I'm done with this kid. I'm just done with this. So I had this plan. I was all ready. Because I knew as soon as I got on that bus, old Rusty was coming after me. Sure enough, after school one day, I got on the bus and I was kind of moving towards the back. And here comes Rusty. And he's got a zero bar. Anybody know what a zero bar is? Some of you, the rest of you, just Google it. Come, a picture will come up. It's a little white candy bar. We used to eat them. Zero bar. And he had it in his mouth. It's half in and half out. boy. And man, I got up out of my seat. And just as quick as lightning, I ran up to Rusty Hall and I took the palm of my hand and I went, and I shoved that zero bar as far down his throat as I could. Problem is, I wasn't very fast. So Rusty, man, after he got his bearings and was spitting zero bar everywhere, he got up. He came towards me, and man, I'll tell you what, he grabbed me. I don't know where the bus driver was, but he grabbed me. And that dude, Rusty Hall, he threw me down on the ground, and he got on top of me, and he took his two knees, and he put his knees in my shoulder, and he put my head down on the ground. And he still had zero bar coming out of his mouth. And man, that kid, he had me, and we were looking eye to eye. He could have done anything he wanted to me at that moment. Why? Because I was pinned down at the bottom of that bus. He spit a zero bar out of me, wiped his mouth, got up, and that was it. That's the word the Apostle Paul uses here. All this stuff, all these pursuits, all these things that I once thought valuable, my dreams, my ambitions, my education, my pedigree, my zeal for the law, all of it. Just, it, just, it drove my whole life until Christ grabbed a hold of me 
and he threw me down and he put his knees in my shoulder and it was to the place where he can do anything he wants with me. That's what he's talking about. That's what changed everything. And now, Paul says, because he laid hold of me, my whole life is all about laying hold of him. I want you to see what this looks like because there's a before and after experience in the scriptures. It wasn't just Saul, the Apostle Paul, that this happened to. There, there are countless others. So I want to take a couple of minutes just to look at the before and then I want us to look at after what this looks like. Remember, he was zealous. He was zealous for righteousness and it came out in a harsh persecution of the church. So let's take a look at a couple of passages. First of all, Matthew chapter 15. Go to the left in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Matthew to the 15th chapter and I want you to see this story. Matthew chapter 15. And you're going to see a contrast between people who have, who have never been laid hold of by Christ and those who absolutely have. You're going to see it vividly here in these passages. First of all, chapter, or verse 1 of Matthew chapter 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They were interested, of course. They'd never been laid hold of him, but they, they, they were interested. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? See, that's one of the things that made Paul's list. Traditions. Age-old traditions. All about religion. See, that was one of their things on the list. That were valuable. That they would have put out on the table for all these people to see. So, so why do your disciples uh, disobey our age-old tradition? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. These guys were hung up on the fact that the disciples weren't washing their hands properly before they ate a meal. Can you imagine? In the name of religion, that was their deal. Jesus replied with an answer, or a question. Why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? I like that. Jesus said, listen, if we're going to talk about a standard, let's talk about the real standard, which is God's. Amen? Let's talk about God's standard. You're worried about things like washing hands and some of those ceremonial rituals. Jesus turns the table and asks the question. He says, listen, here's the real standard. Why, by upholding your traditions, maintaining your list of things that are valuable, do you actually violate the standard of God? Do you know that you could be here this morning fully redeemed, fully in the spirit, in, in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, but you are so bent on pursuing the things that are most valuable to you that you are actually in direct violation to the holy and righteous standard of God? It's possible. That's what he's saying. Why do you, by doing the things that you think are right, actually violate the standard of God? That's a penetrating question. Now watch how this unfolds. Um, God says, for instance, honor your father and mother. That's a command. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. 
Just try that in your house. <laughs> uh, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. See, that, that's the problem with a self-made, self-justifying religion. You can take the standard of God and say, well, that doesn't apply to us. That doesn't apply to my family. That doesn't apply to my life. But Jesus is saying, wait a minute. If that's God's standard and you're upholding your list, you're actually in direct disobedience to God's standard. Um, in this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition, your own things. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas and commands from God. You see, that's before. These individuals, religious as they were, they certainly understood the word of God, and they were going to synagogue and all these other things. But they didn't realize how desperately far away from the real experience they actually were. That's before. That's having not been laid hold of by Christ. That's what it looks like. And they were leading other people astray as well. Jesus called them blind guides. The blind leading the blind. If one person guides another, they're both going to fall into a ditch. He just absolutely had no time for it. There's another passage, Luke chapter 5. Um, just a couple of <clears throat> books over from Matthew to the right. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke chapter 5, the very beginning of his gospel. I want you to see this story as well. We'll try and go quickly. I love this story. Luke 30, verse 17, Luke chapter 5. One day while Jesus was teaching... Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. By the way, that's what people do that are pursuing all their own stuff. They just kind of, they sit on the periphery of Jesus. They just sit on, the, they, they, they're, they're spectators, okay? So there, there they are, sitting nearby. Luke gives us a little parenthetical observation. It seems that these men show up at every village in Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. I love that. Luke's going, man, I've seen these guys before. <laughs> they were in the last town doing this, sitting there with their arms folded, just watching everything unfold. Um, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. I love that. See, that's what happens when God's at work. There's power. There's healing power. People's lives are transformed. But when, but when you're in this mode, when you're in this attitude of trusting in your own kind of brand of righteousness, guess what? You completely miss the fact that God is at work in all these people's lives. You miss it. Luke made note of it. He said the Lord's power was mighty on Jesus. And do you know it always is? If you could ever get out of the way with all your traditions and all of your hang-ups and all the things that are just distracting people from the real experience, Jesus could actually dispense some power into these people's lives. That's the idea. And so what happens is some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. How different from the men who are just sitting around watching. These men are in action and they're bringing a friend. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So watch this. They went up to the roof and took off some tiles. <laughs> Can you believe that? They just started. They, first of all, they climbed up on this roof. 
And you got to watch. All these, all these religious people are watching this. They're watching these guys get up to the top of this roof. And then they start to take the tiles apart. Which meant they created a hole in the top of this roof. And there was probably some straw and some mud and some junk that started to fall down onto the floor. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd. That's what they're doing. Can you imagine they're doing this for, their fr- for the friend? Because they want him to experience the power of Jesus. These people over here are just all worried about their stuff. And they're probably not too happy about the dust and the, the removal of them. We've got a hole in our ceiling. Another hole in the wall around here. <laughs> What's this dust? We gotta have dust in this place. See? And they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to them, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Now listen, I don't understand this. Anybody who tells me they understand it, they're out to lunch. It's a mystery to me how Jesus looked up, saw these men's faith, and said to the young man on the pallet, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Do you see how your attitude and your fleshing out of your experience with Jesus, do you see the kind of impact it can have on somebody's eternal destiny? I don't understand it. Jesus saw the, the, the faith of these brothers, these friends, and he looked at that young man and he said, your sins are forgiven. That's power. That's power. That's not religion. That's, that's Jesus. Jesus. the church that's what happens in the body of Christ when Christ lays hold of us people can actually begin to experience his power and his deliverance and his forgiveness their marriages can be made new they can be healed that's Jesus that's what he does But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law started talking to themselves. (laughs) That's what religious people do. They sit around and they talk to themselves because they're so unwilling to acknowledge what Christ is doing in people's lives. So they talk to themselves. Who does he think he is? (laughs) That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, that's before. 